morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. There we go. Lost that hour of sleep and all the umph in our hearts today, I guess. I'd uh, be grateful to have some daylight in the afternoon, so it's going to be good. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's go to First Chronicles in the Old Testament, chapter 28. First Chronicles, chapter 28. It's uh, back before the Psalms in your Old Testament. Click through your Bibles and get there. It's been a great journey so far this year, speaking about uh, many different things in the history throughout the Bible and studying through the Old Testament on our Sunday morning services and seeing how God has worked through their lives so many years ago and how that it still applies to our lives today. First Chronicles chapter 28, start verse 1. It says, And David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes, the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course, and the captains over the thousands, and the captains over the hundreds, and the stewards over the substance, in possession of the king and of his sons, and with the officers and with the mighty men, with all those valiant men, unto Jerusalem. Then David the king stood up upon his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. As for me, I, am, I had in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And he had made ready for the and had made ready for the building. But God said to me, everybody said, but God said to me, Thou shalt not build a house for my name, because thou hast been a man of war and hast shed blood. Verse 4, Howbeit the Lord God of Israel chose me before the house of my father to be king over Israel forever, for it has chosen Judah to be the ruler, and of the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, like me, to, be, to make me king over Israel. And of all my sons, the Lord hath given me many sons, he had chosen Solomon, my son, to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And he said unto me, Solomon, thy son, he shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Verse 7, Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever, if he be constant to do my commandments and my judgments as this day. Now therefore, in the sight of all of Israel and the congregation of the Lord, and the audience of our God, Keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess the good of the land, and leave it for an inheritance for your children after you forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we rejoice in the joy of our salvation. Lord, we're just so grateful for all the things you're doing in our life. God, we pray that you open our heart, open our minds, allow us to see and hear what you're saying to us today as a church, as a congregation of Bethesda. God, we're just grateful for all the many exploits that you've done through this body over these past 20-some years. But, Lord, we're not looking to the past. We're looking to the future. Help your word today to apply to our heart, to apply to our goings. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody says, Amen. Amen. This uh, past season that we've been living in, this year of 2018, uh, we've talked about many things. Uh, we began the year with Reja Vu, the first sermon of the year, and talking about how that we feel like that God is going to 
create in us a heart to where that we will receive his things over and over again, that it will be a raja vu moment where that we feel like we will be here again. Uh, we spoke about a promised land that was promised to Abraham. And Abraham growing up in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, and God called him to leave his family and come to a land that he would show him and uh, give to him and his descendants. Abraham obeyed God, left his family, left all he knew as common, uh, and left the community he grew up in and went where God had called him. He made it to the land of Israel, lived there several years. There was a famine, went down into Egypt, lived a few years, come back to the promised land, passed away, had a son, Abraham and Isaac, his son. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Uh, after that 12 sons, there was a, a man born in, in uh, Egypt because they had went into the wilderness or into the uh, Egypt because of another famine. And 400 years later, uh, man Moses was born, put into the water. We know the story. We heard about it. That Moses was one drawn out of is what his name means. And Moses being born, placed in that water, was drawn out by Pharaoh's uh, daughter. Pharaoh's daughter raised him, uh, set him up in the, uh, in the kingdom there in Egypt. Moses went on and uh, he got uh, tired of the Egyptians beating on one of his uh, family members. He went and killed that individual, placed him in the ground. Then they heard about it. He knew his sin had been found out he took off into the wilderness come back after 40 years uh, in the after living with his father-in-law come back because god promised him in the fiery bush to go and let the children of israel go moses goes back into egypt leads the children of israel out the red sea they cross the red sea uh, it's amazing uh, miracle of god to allow the waters of the red sea to go back children of israel cross over but they forget God and forget what God has uh, given them, the promise that he made for the promised land. They travel in the wilderness. They uh, murmur. They complain. They do many things against God. They won't follow his ways, his command. They end up staying in the wilderness 40 years. Moses is 120 years old, stands upon a mountain, looks over the promised land over the river Jordan. He looks uh, with anticipation in his heart, but he knows he cannot go himself. And we know that they wandered in that wilderness for 40 years. And in our lives, sometimes it seems like those seasons last too long. Can anybody say amen? It seems like the seasons when my sin against God causes me heartache and pain, they last too long. But as Moses stands there, he perishes, passes away. Uh, the next in line, uh, Moses had allowed Joshua to raise up underneath him to learn about how to lead the children of Israel. They cross over Jordan another time that the river rose back. They go across on dry ground. They got in and we, we studied about the walls of Jericho. The first battle when they go into the promised land, they go in, they see Jericho, this great walled city. Uh, some historians say the walls were as much as 45 feet high and 75 feet wide. That's a pretty big wall to overcome. But the children of Israel had a promise from God. And we've studied about it and know that if God promises, God will fulfill. And God told them if they would pray, walk around the walls seven days, and seven times on the seventh day, if they would shout, uh, that the walls would come down. And they did. And the walls of Jericho uh, fell that very day. It's a miracle from God to see that kind of thing happen. And we need to pray in our lives that God would allow walls that prevent us from our destiny would fall.
We talked about the next week following that, that Achan, because of the culture shock that it went in and saw this great miracle of God, but God told him, don't take anything, the possessions of Jericho with you, leave them there, leave them be, don't take them, they're not yours. And uh, Achan couldn't stand it, the culture shock got him, he took uh, instruments and different things, and he buried them in the ground, and God caught them, because the next battle at Ai, they lost, because there was sin in the camp. Look, your neighbor says, there's sin in the camp. That's one of Leslie's favorite sayings. She says it all the time. Anytime something goes wrong, um, sin in the camp. So it was a, a culture shock moment. Then the next week, uh, two weeks ago, we studied about the unsanctioned treaty where that uh, Joshua, after this battle away, they went back and, and they got rid of Achan's sin. They found it out. Uh, God uh, uh, let them know. And in the knowledge, they dealt with it. And then they went, went back and they won the battle of Ai the second time. But then the people in the surrounding regions heard about the things that God was doing in the children of Israel. And they began to get scared. So they come in and they done an unsanctioned treaty with Joshua. And we talked about that two weeks ago that there was, or three weeks ago, that there was an unsanctioned treaty. And we've got to be careful that not everything is though is it appears. Uh, then we've talked about the age of God appointed judges and how the, when God uh, allowed the children of Israel to conquer the land and have all the things in the land that they needed a judge, they needed a system for their society. And that system was that God appointed these judges to rule the children of Israel and lead the children of Israel and make rulings according to God's word, the establishment that uh, Moses had laid out for them. But as they were there, that uh, these God appointed judges... It, it allowed them to live in harmony together because God's way is better than our way. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, God's way is better than our way. So we're going on a journey. Can you see this journey as it's uh, playing out here? As a congregation, we're going through this. But last week, uh, Brother Al Winters came and he spoke uh, about desiring carnality and, and, and the part in scripture where that comes from for us in our, in our journey, in our story of, of the Bible is that uh, the children of Israel, once they was going through this age of judges, they got looking around at other communities and other nations and they looked at those other nations and they said, we want to be like everybody else. I want to fit in. And when they said this, they wanted to fit in. They wanted a king. They, they told God, I know you don't want us to have a king, and you told us not to have a king, but we want a king. So they, they desired a king, and the Bible says that God will give you the desires of your heart. Amen? Amen. So we can desire things that maybe is not God's uh, divine plan for our life, and because it's a desire of ours, he's willing to give it to us. But guess what? Wherever you get your desires, you get your consequences. Amen? So Brother Alf last week talked about how that in desiring carnality and wanting to live our way versus God's way, that it brings destruction in our life and it leaves a wake behind us of the destruction we live in other people's lives. Sure. Amen. And it's just amazing to me that uh, how God uh, does things in, in, in order and keeps things in sequence. And when Al came, it just uh, appeared to me that, that God is setting some things straight in our, in our region. And I believe that my brother Al standing here last week and asking for and pleading for forgiveness for causing pain, I believe it was symbolic for us that we need to become a, a humble people, that humility would reign in our hearts and we would know that we have left a wake of destruction behind us as well. 
We may not have gone to the extremes that Al did of actually costing someone their life, but we've caused harm, and we are to seek forgiveness. Amen? Amen. And I'm glad that Al had the opportunity to stand in Lewis County and ask for that forgiveness. God gives grace to the humble. Yes, he does. And he resists the proud. So in desire and carnality, give us a king. It was a type of moment where that we want our way. But today we're talking about a, a message entitled Building God a Dream House. Building God a Dream House. And this is a season where that now they have had not only Saul as their king, they wanted another king, and their next king that they that God appointed to them was King David. And we know King David. The story of King David, his life was a, a life where that they said David is or Saul's killed his thousand, but David is ten thousands. David was a man of war. He was a, a young guy that had killed a bear, that had killed a lion with his bare hands out there protecting sheep. He was a warrior. And King David, as he was performing all these things, it was actually uh, leading up through his life to lead the children of Israel into victory because our neighbors are not always our friends. Amen. Amen? Amen. So uh, King David, they would rule over multiple uh, different regions of the surrounding regions that David would conquer his enemies. And the children of Israel were happy because of this conquering spirit within their rank, within their society. They, they desired winning. How many likes to win? Yes. Amen. Winning's good, yeah. right? Yeah. We're in we're in the big blue state. I mean, yeah. we believe blue here, right? We yeah. we like to win. And and you get a year where the I know it's the one and done and all that kind of stuff, and we're okay with that sometimes and sometimes we're not. Sure. You know what I'm saying? That this year has not been the year that we've always uh, dreamed of. They've had a lot of losses and stuff, and Kentuckians just don't like to lose. Yeah. So we are symbolic of this group of people. We're a whole lot like them. We like to win. But if we're going to build God a, a God-sized uh, dream and a, a, a God's dream house, if we're going to build that as, as a church, as a group of people, we have to decide what type of house does God desire. You see, because the children of Israel, all this wilderness experience, all this time in Israel thus far, through the kings and the judges, they had allowed God to live in this big tent. That, God, that Moses had designed, that God instructed him. You gotta have a tent, it's gotta be this size, it's gotta have a, uh, the altar of incense, you gotta have all these different components inside of this tent, and there's a, a place of God's uh, holy of holies that talks all about this as Moses lays it out and directs it through the guiding of God. Amen. And they had witnessed God live in a tent. So King David had conquered all these lands. He's getting a house himself, and he's abiding in this house. We know that he's in a, in a walled house because he looks over his neighbor's house, and he ends up taking his neighbor's wife and all this chaos in his life, right? So it has to be a pretty nice house he lives in to be out on a big uh, plateau on the roof. And David begins to look, and he thinks, why, why am I living in this structured type of house, but God's over there living in a tent? So he begins to have a desire inside of his heart to say, if I'm living in a house and we're living in Israel, this nation that God gives us, this land that God gives us, I want God to be here with us. So he devises this plan, he thinks about it, and dreams about it, and he's like, I want to build God a house. And he desires this, he wants this. 
But King David had come to a point in his life where that he was now not walking in his ways, his own ways, his own desires. He came to a point where that he had wisdom. Look at your neighbor and say, you need wisdom. We need to live in wisdom. Amen? So the older you get, the wiser you get. Amen? Amen? Amen. Well, some people don't, but most people are supposed to. So David gets to this point where he decides, you know, I want to build God a house. I desire to build God a house. And that's a good thing, right? To have God a house. I'm, I'm proud to say that as Bethesda, we've got two buildings. And we've got a place where we can come and meet God. And God can meet with us. And we can sense the presence of God. And we can have children's church and all the things that we do. I'm, I'm grateful for the little building down at Vanceburg that we bought, that we placed out there in the kids' clubhouse. I'm grateful for the buildings of God that he's given us. David desired to build God a permanent house. But he's wise enough to know, I don't want to do this because I want to do it. I want to do what God tells me to do. That's wisdom. Not what I want, what you want. That sounds awful lot like in the New Testament, doesn't it? When Jesus lives 33 and a half years, God's abiding in him, through him. Yes. He's God in flesh. It comes that Garden of Gethsemane experience. The weight of the world is crashing down on his shoulders. He knows his time is near. He goes in that garden and he prays great drops of blood, sweat, drops of blood comes off his brow. The weight of the world on his shoulders. And Jesus is saying, I, I can't bear this burden. I can't do this. I, I, I feel like I can't. But then he looks up and he says, not my will, but thine be done. In our lives, that's the prayer we need to be praying. Not what I want. Yeah. What does he want? Amen. So in praying that type of prayer, David saw because God spoke to David. And he said, David, you've been a man of war. You've got blood on your hands. You're not going to build my house, but your son will. Yes. Amen. Your son will. And his name is Solomon. David had many sons. But Solomon was the son that God chose to build his house. A dream house. So whenever David gets the direction from God, you're not going to build it, but your son's going to. David had to make a decision at that moment. Am I going to go ahead and do what I want to do? Or am I going to just lay up a treasure and a store for the next generation to do the things that God has called them to do? So this is a time and a season where David decides, I'm not going to just uh, live my life to fulfill my purpose, but I'm going to help the next generation fulfill their purpose too. And Bob says that King David, he bought all this wood, and he, he, he came from all these outlying communities and these different yes. neighbors that he had, and they would bring cedars in and all this stuff, and David would store up the things that Solomon would need to build God's house. David never built it, but he prepared the next generation to do what God had called them to do. So as a church today, what I'm asking us is how much do we desire the next generation to be more successful than our generation? Amen. Yeah. Sure. Can you see what I'm saying? That God is telling us today with wisdom, when wisdom is applied, I don't worry about what I, my destiny is or my future is as much as those that are below me are coming behind me. Amen. Amen. So we're to care about who's in the basement here today. Yeah. We're to have a desire within our heart that God says, I can't allow you to do this because you're the battling warrior nation and you're the warrior generation. You're not going to build it, but that generation of those down in the basement, he might do a whole new thing through them that he hasn't been able to do through us. Amen. 
I like winning, don't you? Yes. And we as a people, I've been guilty of this, and it, it just kind of blows my mind that God allows things to just happen. But just this past week, I was in my office and talking to a guy, and I've said this multiple, multiple times about the World War II generation. And seeing them that they're passing away at a, an enormous rate, they're just up in their nineties and, the, and they're having a, and they're just passing away every day. And they're referred to in our society as the greatest generation. How many's ever heard that said? The greatest generation. Yes. I said it myself. I believe it myself. Colonel Brown, the lifelong radio host of all my childhood growing up and calling down to WKKS on Saturday nights and asking him to play music and he would play a song that I wanted. Yeah. I don't even remember, it was the one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. That was a song I liked to listen to and I'd call down there and he'd play it. It's awesome. Anybody's never heard that? You're missing out. You need to go listen to it. It's probably on YouTube. Colonel Brown just passed away there a couple days ago. The greatest generation. Pray for the Brown family. Pray for Dennis. Pray for his mother. Pray for all those as this season of losses in their life. And I really believe that they are the greatest generation. But it's the greatest generation according to what I believe. I call them great because they won battles and they won World War II. But what if it, it's a picture of kind of what God is saying here to David? You can't do the great things because the Bible says the least is going to be the greatest. And the greatest is going to be the least. Right? And there's, a, there's a scripture in Psalms that says that whenever your ways align with God's ways, that he will make even your enemies be at peace with you. How many would like that? Yeah. Amen. Even your neighbors you can't get along with. Amen. They will be at peace with you. Wouldn't that be awesome that there's no more feuds over a six inches difference of who built a fence on my property or your property or what well, none of that matters. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen I've seen those type of battles, you know. Oh, I can't believe it. They come over here and they step foot over there. And it was just the last year that uh, one of our uh, in, in Kentucky, our, our, our state senator was mowing grass, and his neighbor didn't like him mowing grass because it was blowing clippings over on his property, and he goes over and breaks his rib. How dare somebody blow your grass clippings over on my yard? Heaven forbid. Yeah. <laughs> we claim we're the greatest generation. But what, what if God has a generation down that basement? that accomplishes these two things and they have no enemies because everybody's living in peace. What if that's the greatest generation? Yeah. What if God's telling us today, quit building your house mm -hmm. and what you call great yeah. Amen. and set them up for success the way David did Solomon? Yeah. What kind of dream house does God want? He doesn't want a house built with hands, Scripture says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's the very last scriptures of the of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and it tells us, Know you not that you're a temple of God? That his Holy Spirit abides within you? He takes up residence within you? Mm -hmm. 
Don't you even know that you're the temple? You're the house God wants to live in? That he wants to change your life? That he wants to change your life in such a way that you quit living your life for yourself and you live it for others? I'm grateful for a church as Bethesda that we believe in a as a congregation that the next generation is going to be the greatest generation. That's why people give their time, their talent, and their treasures. That's the reason people go down the basement and teach them every week. That's the reason we do things like the egg hunts and all the things that Bethesda does for the next generation. I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful as a congregation that we believe that God loves, wants us to love God and he wants us to love people and we teach kids to do just that. Building God a dream house. What kind of dream house does he want? He wants a house where that he can come and live in and the kids will listen to his voice and they'll follow his decrees. Yep. Is that the house God wants? I believe it is. I believe his desire is to see a generation that will tear down the walls of separation and be inclusive. That'll say, let the race wars end. Amen. Amen. Sure, man. Sure. I'm not taking it. I'm just telling you. I believe God wants the whole world to come to the knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And I believe in my heart today that if I'm going to say Jesus is the Lord of my life, that means he's in control of my life. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, know you not that you were purchased with a price. You are no longer your own. You're his. So today, if I'm going to claim the lordship of Jesus over my life, if I'm going to give my life to him, if I'm going to give him possession of me, I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. The price that was paid on Calvary. And today, this body, it may be a temple, the scripture says, but whose temple is it? Do I think, do things with this body that's about me? Or do I use this body for him? If I give him my heart, is it my heart or is it his? Do I let his life live through me or do I live my own? There you go. Yeah. And we can't have Jesus as Lord if we're still in control. Amen. It's as simple Amen. as that. Yeah. Jesus is asking today, am I in charge of your life or not? It's time to give up. Or a, lot, a, lot, a lot of church people say this, let go and let God. Because sure. some things are a good ideal. Kind of like David, what, build a house? Yeah. That's a good ideal. Amen. But it's not a God ideal. God wanted the next generation to do it. So we've got to give up on what we want and say, what do you want? Won't you stand? Amen. God's way versus Amen. our way. Building God a dream house. This is what I want us to do as a church. I believe that there's people in our community that has kids. I know that there's kids in our community that has parents that have never, ever taken them to church. They've never heard about the name Jesus that we get to hear about on a weekly basis. They've never heard about the Bible and the story of how alive that it is and how that it can live through us. And I believe today what God is asking us to do is to set up the next generation to be a blessing and not a curse. He's telling us to quit living for ourselves 
start living for him. Building God a dream house. The house that he desires the most is not made by hands. He wants to live inside of us and direct our life to be a blessing for those in that basement. I believe with all my heart today if God is wanting and asking us as Bethesda to do even more for them than we currently do. So what I'm going to ask you as a church to do is this, past, this next week, as you pray, as you seek God, as you read, it, read and study scripture, I want you to pray prayers of blessing over this next generation. Yes. Pray for Josiah. Pray for Debo. Yes. Pray for Brady. Amen. Amen. Pray for Carson. Pray for all the kids yes. that we have here at Bethesda. God would just reach down and touch their heart and we would live a life as an example to let them know that you can love God and love people. Let peace reign in our mortal lives. I want you to just bow your head and close your eyes if you will. I want you to just very simply ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying today to me through this message? That you would just ask him right now. You don't have to do it out loud. Just ask him, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today through this message? I believe he will speak to us and he'll let us know. There's some people in this room that he is speaking to you and letting you know you've been living too much for yourself and not enough for others. You've been hoarding upon yourself some things he's asked you to give up for the next generation. There's other people in this room that says, you know what, Pastor Ben, where you said that about having the Lord to be the Lord of your life and giving you total control. I can sense and I know that the Holy Spirit's awake in my heart and told me that I'm trying to control myself and I, I'm, I'm here today and I need to give up control. And I need to give it all to Jesus. I wonder if I in this room, if you would just fairly simply say this prayer with me. Everybody here say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I'm asking you, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my faults. Forgive me for my failures. Help me to overcome myself. Guide me. Lead me. Help me to know that I'm to leave for the next generation a better place to live. I pray that you would help me be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody say, Amen.